afternoon. You're listening to Austin Monitor Radio on KOOP Hornsby Austin 91.7 FM. Radio for people, not for profit. We are streaming online at koop.org. I'm your host and reporter for the Austin Monitor, Jesse Devenins. And just as a reminder for all you listeners, more information about the stories we discussed today can be found at austinmonitor.com. Uh, this year marks not only the dawn of a new decade, but also the year that the United States government will be taking a census of the U.S. population. This effort happens only once every 10 years, and so it's a relatively important data set that, is collect- that needs to be collected with as much accuracy as possible. But this year, the effort to count the country's population has been the subject of much discussion. And basic questions of who, what, when, where, and why are ones that still need to be addressed in order to understand the objectives of the U.S. Census and its potential effects on the state of Texas. To help us dive into these questions, we have Mariana Salazar, the Census 2020 Project Director at United Way for Greater Austin here with us today. So thank you so much for coming onto the show today, Mariana. Thank you, Jesse, for having me here. It's my pleasure. I want to start off our conversation today by offering our listeners some context about how important the census is. And I mean, it's a task that's been written into the Constitution. And so maybe you could start off by just saying how long we've been doing the census. Yeah. So we started doing the census back in 1790. And ever since, we've been doing it every 10 years, and it's it's been an evolving census. It used to be many more questions. It's now only nine questions that are very basic, and even the, the wording of the questions have changed. At the beginning, Latinos would not be counted, mm-hmm. and it was only white and black, and then they added Native Americans. And it wasn't until, I think... 1970, when they when they started uh, adding the the question on the origin of Hispanic and Latino origin, so it's been an ever evolving, but nevertheless, every 10 years it happens, and it has huge consequences. I'd like to think about it in three ways. Um, it's about money, uh, power, and data. And if you think about a lot of uh, money, 675 billions to be exact, are allocated on a yearly basis, based on that population count. Um, so that means that if we're off on that count, our communities are not getting the right amount of money that we should be getting. Um, so it's about, I, I talk about money, it's about political representation too. If we are not counted, then we don't get the right representation at every level of government. If you think about here at the city, at the county, state, and federal governments, they all use the census data to drive uh, policy making, decision making, and more importantly, uh, the federal uh, represent uh, the, the the money that I talked about. But also at the congressional level, uh, we have 435 seats, and those seats are allocated according to the population. So, um, unfortunately, uh, at that level, it's it's kind of like a zero sum game where if you know if our population in relationship to another state. Um, is more or less than we lose or win more representatives. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state of Texas being who we are, uh, you know, a growing economy and um, attracting so many people coming here, we are expected, if we are all counted, to gain three congressional seats. So currently we have 36 seats, and uh, if you know we're all counted, we, we can get up to 39 seats. And that's not true of any other state. Like, other states that are even growing in population, they might get one more uh, or they might lose. Whose seats and are we getting? I'm know? sorry? Whose seats are we getting? Oh, do I, know? I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so I talked about money. I talked about uh, political representation and data, you know. 
so much of our cities um, and government in general, they just use that number of people counted. If you think about, I'm a mother and, uh, you know, I want my children to go to good schools. Well, for good schools to be there, we have to know how many children uh, are going to live in our areas. We know that our community, for example, has been losing families here in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that those of us that are here are counted so that, for example, AASD can make the right projections of where to put schools. Um, my son is six years, years old right now. In 10 years, he's He's going to be 16 years. And so I want to count him to make sure that, you know, high schools are in the right place for when he needs to go to high school. Yeah. So are, are there particular areas as a result that you're focusing these census count efforts on to make sure that you are getting accurate counts? Yes, absolutely. So part of what my role with United Way for Greater Austin has been to uh, give out grants to communities that are for some reason at risk of being undercounted. Uh, we receive funds from uh, foundations and in, in the Central Texas region, the Episcopal Health Foundation, um, the San Davids Foundation, uh, the Austin Community Foundations, among others. They came together early on last year. They recognized that the state of Texas has not set aside any funds and that this was a crucial enterprise. So they came together, they mm -hmm. pooled funds together, and so they, they partner with United Way for Greater Austin. And back in December, we gave out about $400,000 to 17 grantees around the, the Central Texas region. And our work has been uh, making sure that uh, these organizations that we've given the money to have the capacity to kind of uh, break down any barriers for people uh, that people may have that prevent them from participating. And I can talk a little bit about what those barriers are. Um, so far, what we've seen is that a barrier to participate might be a distrust for the government, or it might be in not knowing it's important, not, not remembering and not thinking it, that um, it's going to happen or missing out on it. So we're specifically working with these organizations to address those barriers. So you mentioned distrust of the government, and um, this year there was a failed attempt by the Trump administration to include a question about citizenship, which... Um, Ultimately, that's not going to be included on the census. And nevertheless, it's been reported that there are still fears that the census will be used by ICE. Um, and is this something that you've witnessed? Has this been a cause of some of this distrust that you are encountering? Yes, absolutely. So part of our work with United Way has been uh, we have the census ambassador training. So I've been doing many trainings and I've done now about five of these trainings. And a recurring question has been, um, how do we address that fear? Uh, we, um, our grantees are on the ground, um, like Todos Juntos, for example, they, they work with mothers and students, and they, they've been repeatedly hearing that people are concerned that the citizenship question is there, they're not aware that it's no longer there. And so the fear is real, it's understandable, and I, 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 I give them a lot of information, uh, knowing that in, in some instances, even if even, even if you get that information, even if you give out a lot of information, the fear will remain. But you know, we're trying from every angle to uh, to to make sure that people trust this the, the this enterprise. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. First, uh, what I share is that the Census Bureau is a nonpartisan. Uh, operation is an institution that works from outside of politics and that their their sole job is to create statistics and not to share information the law prevents them from sharing information with 
uh, immigration enforcement, mm-hmm. with police, with landlords. Sometimes people are afraid of if you know if their lease only allows so many people uh, to live in in a given apartment, and they have they might have more people living with them. They might be also hesitant to share that number of people that live within the household. So we sh- we share that. Um, they don't. They don't need to be afraid of that. Also, right now with the public charge uh, going on, uh, debate on whether um, uh, you know you can um, be eligible to become a citizen or or, or have a green card on whether you're using uh, public services. People are also afraid, and so we. Um, break it down and share to folks that unlike many processes where you have to be a citizen, the census is truly that one institution, that one democratic process through which we can participate. We can all participate. We should all participate. We must participate. It's a requirement and Mm -hmm. it's also our duty to participate. Um, If you're undocumented, uh, you are still going about maybe paying your taxes or getting an ID. And so just like that, uh, we hope that people would go and complete the census, knowing how important it is for our own communities, for our own children's. So the the information is confidential, and you mentioned uh, earlier that there are nine questions now on the census. So I was wondering, um, are those just basic demographic questions that are being asked? Yes. So the nine questions are basically your first name and last name, your phone number, your date of birth and your age. And in terms of personal identifying information, those are the three only pieces of information. So if you think about it, it's very basic. And if anyone wanted to find that information, they could probably find it. We probably share a lot more information through our social media. (laughs) (laughs) And um, it's unlikely that even if someone wanted to find you, that they're going to go to the Census Bureau to find that information, and the Census Bureau will never be sharing out that information. So in terms of those, those are the three basic uh, personal identifying information. Other questions that they'll ask you is whether you're um, Latino or Hispanic or Spanish origin. And I know that for Latinos, uh, they always they always ask me, it's like, okay, but if I answer that question, do I really have to answer the race question? And the answer is yes, we want you to be completing everything. And, you know, in terms of ethnicity, you can mark, you know, Latino, and it gives you an option to say where you're from too. And then in terms of race, you you can be, you can check multiple races, white, black, Native American, and there's a, an, an other, and so you can be marking all of that. So I know that that's an important issue for a lot of Latinos. And then um, it asks whether you rent or owned. And that's so that they, you know, they know how we're doing in the uh, nationwide in terms of home ownership rates and um, and renters. And then it asks your relationship to each other. You're gonna have to answer all these basic questions for all the households within your housing unit. So it asks that. It asks how many people live in your household, and it asks your sex, um, whether you're female or male. So. Relatively very, basic, very basic. Question. Yes, <laughs> um, but I want to go back to the like the ramifications of this because you know you answer these nine questions and you said that if everybody in the state answers them, we have the potential in Texas to have three new representatives. So, what would having these new this new representation in the House mean for our state? I think um, having it would be more voices for us in Texas, right? I mean, we we live and breathe issues here locally. And not only not only um, at the state level, but I, I also want to say that uh, the census information is used to draw maps uh, locally mm-hmm. uh, for city councils, for mm-hmm. county, 
um, county commissioner's court. And so just basically all political maps. So not not being counted, missing out means that we have less representation being counted, you know, at a basic level is that you'll have more people who will be voicing our needs. We know that our needs here in Texas are very different from other from other states. And so they'll we'll be in a better position uh, in Congress to be advocating for things that we care about. And the other component of this that you also touched on briefly was the financial one. Um, you know, it's not just representation, but it's the funding. And I'm, what sort of federal programming is funded through what the, the money that's allocated through the census? Yeah, so there's at least 55 federal programs that tie all their funding to census information, and that is a lot. That is a lot. And uh, all of those 55 federal programs allocate about roughly about 675 million billion, I'm sorry, billion dollars every year. This is nationwide. This is nationwide. This is about 60 billion here in Texas. And so, if you think about the the programs that are mostly fun, that are high, that are funded funded the highest are uh, Medicaid and Medicare. That's probably about five billion dollars uh, federal grant programs, um, school lunches, school uh, lunches, the constructions of um, um, I forget from the Department of Transportation for construction mm-hmm. of roads. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of social services and things that we depend on. So it's it's pretty huge. Section 8 or housing choice voucher um, that's also tied to it. And um, just m- many more like uh, n- nutrition for seniors and uh, WIC. And if you think of all the federal programs, they're, they're, they're tied to the census. <laughs> and so how much could this um, funding figure shift if everybody responds to this census here in Texas? Mm-hmm. So I... What I remember, the statistics are, for example, in Central Texas, if we miss, if we are counted, um, if we're undercounted by 1%, we will lose about $25 million per year. And so just multiply that 1% versus 2%. I mean, we can be undercounted. I think in the, in the past years, we've been undercounted. It, it varies by, by, by state and by population, but children have been historically undercounted a lot. So that means less funding for the, for the services that are, that are drawing on that figure from, from the children. So it, it, can be, it, can be, it can add up quickly if, if you think about it, right? 25 per 1% mm-hmm. here in Central Texas per year times 10 years. So we're losing quite a bit of money. Do you know the historical figure of undercounting here in Central Texas? I, I don't I don't know it. No? But, uh, but you said that children are a particular population that are at risk of being undercounted. Mm-hmm. What are some other populations that fall into that category? So, and the children are in particular undercounted because sometimes they, they're split, they split their time between their families and then you know, someone might not count them. So the important thing is to count them where they sleep, where they sleep most of the time. Other populations that are historically undercounted are uh, ethnic minorities, um, persons experiencing homelessness, mobile population, student, the student population. Usually, um, you know, they're away in college. They think maybe that the parent is counting them. The parent's not supposed to count them. They're not counted. And so they're miss out on the whole college timeline also doesn't align with you know so are they supposed to be counted then you know if they're in west campus say do they 
choose that as their domicile and they're counted for Travis County? Yes, students are supposed to be counted where they where they live most of the time, which mm-hmm. would be in college. Yeah, in, in college, so for sure. And there's a whole operation. If you live off campus, you are counting yourself. You complete the census. If uh, you live on campus, the Census Bureau has its own operations to go count you. So um, it's it's different. But going back to the populations that are undercounted, uh, persons with limited English proficiency um, are undercounted. Um, persons that are not born here, foreign born, uh, persons with uh, uh, limited access to the internet, mm-hmm. which makes sense uh, um, that we're predicting that given that this year's the first year that we're gonna be able to complete it online. So there's this whole, um, group of different populations that we're working just to make sure that uh, no one is left behind. And what are you doing to reach these harder to reach populations and also just to ensure an accurate count overall? So we've given out grants. I shared that earlier. We've given out $400,000 to 17 agencies and each agency has its own uh, group that it's working with. Uh, for example, the Asian American CCC. The CCCs are the complete count committees or local organizing bodies that have formed precisely to make sure that people are counted and are not left behind. And so we've given money to different groups that have different, that have, you know, that are focusing on different populations. So the Asian American CCC, they're working with the Asian American community here and in Williamson County. Uh, we've given funds to People's Community Clinic, AISD. Uh, we know that, um, you know, the ASD touches so many families, families of different origins, of different languages. And so they have a whole outreach strategy where they're working with parent support specialists to make sure that um, parents and children know about it. There's a whole statistics in school program that the Census Bureau has created to make it fun for children to know what the census is about and to be inspired. And we know that children are influencers of their own parents. And so uh, they're kind of counting on that uh, to make sure that they participate. They're also creating opportunities for people to uh, participate while they have meetings, for example. Have any of these strategies, by the way, been impacted by the public health concerns that are surrounding COVID-19? So this is, you know, this is new and it's developing, but I would say that yes. I would say that uh, folks are starting to, it's, it's a little bit early, but large events for sure they're they're starting to either cancel postpone it or being very cautious i would say that in the next few weeks we'll see exactly how it impacts or how it develops and we'll have to tailor the good thing is that we have many options really to be reaching folks um through our day-to-day and not not in large masses Mm -hmm. but and that's what we've you know a lot of these programs are reaching through their normal programming that it's not so large in scale. And so they, they will be able to share that information, promote and not only promote and share information, but allow people to complete it while they're there, for example. So um, you mentioned a moment ago that this is the first year that the census is being completed online. And um, you also noted that these organizations are going to be offering this assistance throughout their normal programming. So I'm wondering how the online census plugs in to this initiative. Yeah, so basically, LIST, we're all going to get an invitation to complete the census starting this week. It's going to come on the mail. It's going to have a code. And with that code, we're going to be able to go online. And it's not necessary. The code is not necessary, but the code would allow us to, would allow the Census Bureau to locate your address. Because that letter that you're going to get on the mail is not addressed to you, LIST. It's addressed to your address. And so 
with that code, you're going to be able to complete it online. You're also going to be able to uh, complete it on the phone too. We have 13 language lines that are available. And um, so, so that's a, a really important method to, to complete it. And if we don't complete it by April, then someone's going to come knock at our door from the Census Bureau or likely, you know, it's um, they're, they're kind of hurting for people and we're hoping more people come through and work as census enumerators. Uh, but you, we, we can expect that uh, this time around is going to be easier for some folks, harder for some folks. But uh, what it means to have it available online means that we can complete it uh, right there on our phones. Uh, it should take 10 minutes. We complete it. We can complete it on our tablets, and that means that uh, for I'm also working, for example, in areas in the unincorporated areas of Bastrop County. Mm -hmm. It means that for them, we have to be going to them to make sure that um, they can complete it on paper or that they don't miss it out, or we give them opportunities. We bring the internet to them. Are you expecting, though, that the internet's going to facilitate this process and make it entice more people to respond? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it will allow a lot more people to respond mm -hmm. very quickly within the ease of having their phone. Um, and uh, there are the other methods for people that are not that might not be uh, as comfortable using the internet. So that's that's okay. I'm I'm very happy and hopeful about all the different methods that there are, and I I think that having having more methods is only only good. Yeah, uh, specifically for the online one though, because it is the first year. I would imagine that a question that arises is you know is it secure? So is is it a secure option? Yes, so the Census Bureau has been taking quite a bit of um, um, precautions. They're aware of the insecurities that exist right now, you know, data, data, data theft, and but um, they are they are taking all of those precautions, and we're passing down, you know, they want to make sure that if you're providing opportunities for people to complete the census, that you don't. Uh, that you are directly pointing people to the to the website and not having middle pages that can be kind of mm -hmm. um, open to people coming and stealing the information. So I, I feel pretty comfortable. I mean, right right now we live in a crazy world, right? We can't. Uh, it's very. Um, we can't predict many things, but uh, we still have to move on and do do things that are important for our country, like this, like counting the census. So I, I feel with what I've read, I feel very comfortable and confident that the Census Bureau is doing everything that they can to protect our information uh, through our online submission. If we're hesitant, um, we can always uh, submit it in paper and we can uh, also call by phone and talk to someone. So there are there are those methods for those that are a little bit hesitant or even wait for someone to come at your door. <laughs> but I would urge people to try to complete it right away so that we can kind of deploy those resources, those limited resources um, on door knocking for, for, for those that really need it the most. I'm curious about the the door knockers. Mm -hmm. You know, are, mm -hmm. I, the way you're expressing this makes it sound like you have historically certain communities that are, I would imagine, harder to reach that tend to receive these door knockers. But um, have you also seen that, you know, you have to rely pretty heavily on these guys to go to door to door? to get all the information or, you know, have you seen this changing or what are you expecting in terms of where you're going to actually get the census data from? So the cool thing this year, Liz, is that the Census Bureau is uh, sharing with us a map 
where mm-hmm. we'll get, uh, where we will be able to see the response rates of communities and we'll be able to deploy resources according to our response rate. So for example, if we if they look here, we look at our zip code or census track and we know that right now by now, let's say a month pass, goes by and we can still see the response rates below the average of everyone else, we, we can say, hey, Let's let's make sure that we have a block party. Let's make sure we we target the information. The Census Bureau won't start uh, door knocking until after May, but as a community, we can be door knocking early on if we want to, um, encouraging people, sharing that information. And so the Census Bureau wants to make sure that you know there's a difference between those that are partners like us. I'm I'm considered a partner, and those that are really sworn and have um, and our uh, official Census Bureau staff. But what I anticipate is that um, th- that map will be able uh, will allow us to um, know early on what to do and kind of work towards that. And that's very exciting. I'm a data geek, and having that information it's a game changer uh, yeah. for a campaign, any campaign, right? If you have the data, you can target your your efforts. It, yes. And yeah. um, this is awesome that we'll, we're going to do it this way. You know, frankly, I don't remember anything from um, 10 years ago. People keep asking me, it's like, did you submit your the, the census 10 years ago? What did you do to promote the census? I was like, I don't remember. I'm 39 right now. Oh, I'm about to be 39 Monday. I don't want to give me Happy more birthday. age. Thank you. Then, then, then I have to. But very soon I'll be 39. And, you know, at 29, I was here in Austin and I don't remember. I don't know what was going on. And then at 19, I was in college, and I don't remember, but I imagine I'm that type of person that submits everything that you're supposed to do. So I, I would have submitted it. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a valid question. I don't remember yeah. either. You don't, oh, that's good. I'm not the only one. Yeah. <laughs> that's so easy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was 18 then. So um, I the funding I am curious about, because you said that you know, you're working and getting grants with a variety of organizations, um, but you all are working in the Central Texas region. So is there a similar effort that is happening across the state of Texas? So this is anecdotal information. From what I gather and from what I've been reading on the paper too, it's been very patchy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the state of California received $200 million. And so, for example, I've been in touch with other United Ways at California. I go to them because they've received so much resources. And you can see what different resources make. Mm-hmm. They have created all these different uh, pamphlets that we've been building on. And so we've been capitalizing on those relationships that we already have here. But here, for example, other United Ways at, uh, throughout the state of Texas, they haven't received any funding like we did here because of our partnership with our um uh, funding community here, but that didn't necessarily happen at every community. And we know that at the local level, not every community has allocated funds, even within our, let's take our central Texas region. Yeah. You know, Travis County and the city of Austin allocated quite a bit of money, almost like four hundred, five hundred $500,000 to uh, compare that to Hayes County. Um, they allocated, I think, 50000 uh, compared to Caldwell County. They allocated nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, and you know, it's not necessarily a reflection on them. They're very, I mean, Hayes, um, Caldwell County is very small and their, um, their funding is very small too. But um, definitely what I have seen is that... Um, what is it called? A pa- it's a patchwork. Um, patchwork. Patchwork. Yeah. Yeah. Patchwork. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so will that become more clear when the maps come out? Absolutely. Uh, I think. And... I think we will see. Yeah. And I think the cool thing is we will see efforts. Like it's cool. We're gonna be able to deploy efforts and immediately see did it have a result? Like 
do we see that response rates go up? Mm -hmm. That's I, I find that pretty cool. And since we haven't explicitly um, defined this, what is the exact start date of the census? Yes. And how long yeah, are we yeah, going yeah, for? Yeah. So the census, we can start completing the census starting tomorrow. Tomorrow is the day, March 12th. <laughs> All the way to July 31st. So we have a 20-week window, which is a long time, but it's going to go by fast. So my pitch here is, like, let's complete it a, um, March and April so that we leave those last resources to those that really need it, and that would be in May, June, and July. April 1st is Census Day, and it's that day where, you know, nationally – and locally, we'll be doing, we'll be celebrating, we'll be calling more attention. And, but it's also an important day because it's that day where if we're confused about anything, we, that's going to be a reference day. For example, um, if a baby, if a baby um, is born after April 1st, let's count them. If they're in the, in the womb, let's not count them. Um, if uh, a child splits his or her time with mom or dad, equally then let's count them where they are at on april 1st if you're moving count yourself where you're going to be on april 1st onward so it's an important day but yes from from the 12th march 12th all the way to july 31st got it 20 weeks well unfortunately that's all the time we have for today but thank you so much again mariana salazar for joining us here um, if any of you listeners are still curious or you would like to refresh your memories, you can listen to a recording of this interview at austinmonitor.com. Now it's time for Tracy Schultz, who's on next with What's News at 2.30.